Welcome to episode 52 of the Ask Achieve show, where we answer all of your burning questions on all things health, fitness, and business. We're your hosts, Lauren and Jason Pack, and we're on a mission to bring inclusivity and positive vibes to the fitness space. Today, we'll be discussing bar positioning for squats, training an older population, and how often to change up your training program. We hope you're excited. Let's get into the show. What's up, Achievers? Episode 52. Um, we just wrapped up Fit 101 from this past Sunday, yeah. which was an, an awesome experience. I mean, we, we, we've we gone around different for different organizations like Strong Furs for Results Fitness, uh, for various different conferences where we've spoken at, but this was the first one where we've done at our home turf at Achieve with our own just like views and philosophies under our own like company. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was really cool. Like we spent a lot of time with Sarah and Ted who helped us out just like breaking out the day and figuring out how we were going to organize everything. Um, and it ran super smoothly. Yeah. It felt like it just kind of went without a hitch pretty much. Yeah. It was super cool to do it with the team. Sarah yeah. and Ted did just did an unbelievable job. Um, and we all really worked together seamlessly everything went really well we were kind of unsure of how things would go just because it was our first time doing this and we weren't sure about behind the scenes stuff like popping up and kind of like making the day a little bit um like a uh, kind of like lag behind in terms of like little kinks and stuff like that but everything went so smoothly everything went perfectly on time which was like really surprising yeah. um so yeah we'll definitely do it again in the future probably post baby but um we will <laughs> be doing it um and you know one of the things that we thought was really cool was that can you talk about your whole misinformation and misplaced information thing i thought that was super helpful for um everyone that took the course yeah part of what we what i led the day off with in sort of my introduction to the day was was that um, we hear a lot of times from people in the fitness industry, from coaches saying, oh, there's all this misinformation out there. And I've said um, that a lot as yeah, well. Yeah, and I've said it too, yeah. but when I was starting to think about it, I was like, there's, it's less so misinformation and more so misplaced information. And what I started to realize was that when I was thinking about all these things that we consider as coaches, we sometimes consider misinformation is really just information that's not meant for the population it's being delivered to. And so for a lot of times, people are going to talk about like intermittent fasting and how it's the, the best diet ever and it's the best way to lose weight. And what we might say is like, well, whoa, hold on. Like that's, it's not the only way to lose weight. It's not the best way to lose weight. It's, it's, and maybe it's not going to work for somebody who's like a working mom or somebody <laughs> who like all these different populations. And so those people, those populations are hearing this advice and feeling like, Oh, should I be doing that? Am I supposed to be doing that? Is that what the right thing is for me? And it's just misplaced information. It's, it's works for some people. It is good information when given to the right population. It's just not for everyone. And so what we wanted to do with Fit 101 is give all of the information and explain who it was for. And so what we, like what I did with nutrition was I talked about both macronutrient breakdowns and calorie counting and intuitive eating. And I said, here are the people that one might work for and here are the people that the other might work for. There is no right or wrong answer. There's no right or wrong way of approaching it, but there is going to be a right or wrong way for you to approach it. Um, because if you try to fit yourself into a box that isn't really who you are and isn't really how you operate, it, you're going to end up failing. You're going to end up feeling like a failure. Yeah. And this is why, I mean, this is why bodybuilders argue with powerlifters who argue with sport coaches, who argue with general population coaches. Like 
people just need to take a step back and understand like that they have a specific experience with a specific population and that shouldn't be applied to everyone. And if everyone just kind of like worked together and kind of like saw each other's point of view, I think things would be a lot clearer. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like even so I was going through the hands on segment for the squat and we had um, we had four people per group, basically. And within each group, it was like I would give someone a certain cue or modification and it would be totally different from someone that they were standing directly next to. And then those cues would change totally between a goblet squat and a front squat and a back squat and an offset kettlebell squat. Like those cues kept on changing. And so people get so caught up in very specific cues or very specific way to squat. But um, I think the thing that the point that kind of got across throughout all of it was that there's no right way to squat. There's no perfect technique. It's just the right technique at that time with that variation for that person. And um, so I think uh, I think it was hopefully eye-opening for a lot of those people that took the course. And um, it was a lot of fun. It was. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And we, we really appreciated something else that was just really cool was how each of our, like Jason and I each gave one talk and then Sarah and Ted each gave a talk. And every one of us referenced one of the other coaches like yeah. talks or presentations or something that they do because it was so, it just felt so clear that we're a team and that we really work together and we're all on the same page. And I just, I just loved that. I felt, I felt like the whole time it was so clear from, from our point of view, like, wow, we really are on the same page and we really do work as a team. And that was really cool. Yeah. Me, so. I know you and I were both like expecting to be exhausted by the end of the day, but we were actually energized. We yeah. felt awesome. Like, <laughs> It's just much different when just a team is working together to create some sort of effect or some sort of experience um, as opposed to individuals trying to artificially come up with that. So that was pretty special. Um, and it was cool just to see some uh, attached faces to Instagram handles. Yeah. Like we met Tanya, we met um, Alejandro, and a couple of other people that have been frequent um, commenters on Instagram and have reached out to us via DM pretty frequently and it's cool just to um, connect with those people face to face. So awesome. It was awesome. So, all right, moving on, we're going to get into the questions today. So let's start with this one from Luis B. Brooks and they said, could you do a piece or have you done a piece on bar positioning when doing different types of squats? I'm just getting back into lifting and was playing around with sumo and narrow squats this week. I use low bar for regular squats, but wasn't sure what would be best for the other two, or even if there would be much of a difference. Thanks, Luis. Okay, so so they're talking about they do low bar squat positioning or low bar positioning for their traditional, like normal stance squat. But if they go narrow or wider in a sumo stance, they're wondering where they should put the bar. Right. So in terms of a squat pattern, this really depends on your mechanics, your body levers, your ability level, and as well as your comfort level. And so for you, the big thing that I'm looking for in terms of a squat pattern is if your weight is distributed evenly throughout your midfoot. So I don't want you kind of diving forward with your knees and shifting your weight towards your toes or shifting your weight too far back. I really want to see just overall balance between your midfoot. And then from there, as long as you're squatting well, you're not um, letting your lower back tuck under or you're not tipping too far forward, the big thing that we're looking for is the bar cap should be in line with the middle of your foot. And so if you're squatting really low bar 
and you're in more of a narrow stance, which could potentially require you to be more upright, you might want to position that bar a little bit higher so that it aligns with the middle of your foot. So the best way to tell is really just experiment and videotape yourself. So position your iPhone or whatever camera you have um, to, the, to your profile as you squat down and just note where the bar is. And if you need to adjust it a little bit further back or a little bit further forward, that's totally cool. There's no right way. It's just a matter of fitting it towards your squatting style. Yeah. And do you want to talk about um, also the different stances and kind of why you might go traditional narrow sumo? Yeah. Um, it, it, it's tough to tell why she wants to adjust her stance. Um, she might want to go more narrow just to get a little bit more quad or upper back development because that would require more of um, an upright positioning similar to like a front squat. Whereas a sumo stance, um, that would probably be a little bit more hip dominant. So a little more glutes, hamstrings. It would require her to lean far forward, a little, a little further forward than a um, traditional narrow stance squat. Um, so it's a little bit tough to say, but um, that's probably what she's trying to do. Just trying to hit different angles. Cool. Because, yeah, I was just kind of thinking about it, too. And I was wondering if there was, you know, when we have people squat, we usually try to find an ideal stance for that person based on how they most comfortably squat. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually that sort of gets the best of all worlds in terms right. of like what it targets and everything like that. And you're, and you're moving the most freely. Um, so also just wonder, like, I would guess I would just ask Luis and anybody who's doing these similar um, variations of squats, why? And ask yourself why. If it's just because you are, you somebody told you that you should practice sumo squats and narrow squats, mm. it might not be that beneficial for you and it might actually make it harder for you to get into an optimal bottom of the squat position. Everybody has different hip um, positionings and widths and different limb lengths that make sort of one of those two, either narrow or sumo, probably pretty difficult for them to do. Yeah. Um, and if it's becoming to a point where you're feeling like no matter where you put the bar on your back, you just feel a little awkward with that stance, it might just not be a great stance for you. And it might not be an exercise you need to do. Mm. Maybe instead of a narrow squat, you can go into a front squat. Yeah. Um, and or do like a kettlebell front squat or something like that to, to target those areas without trying to compromise your stance with the barbell. Yeah, I mean, to, in order to get better at squatting, you really need to spend just a lot of time squatting. And if you continuously reposition your feet and how you squat and where the bar is, um, it can be really uh, tough to develop that sort of continuity. So yeah, we. I mean, uh, that's a really great point. I would um, definitely second that in that just find your optimal stance, whatever feels comfortable, comfortable for you, stick with that squat pattern. And if you find that you have um, a sort of a weaker point, let's say your hips and hamstrings are a little bit tougher to engage, maybe then in your assistance exercises, you can do something like a Romanian deadlift or a sumo deadlift, um, some other variation that you can use to target that rather than adjusting your squat pattern to accommodate for that. So find your optimal stance with that's your main pattern and then use your assistance lifts to target any weak points or inefficiencies that you might have. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Just wanted to throw that out there too. So great. Question number two is from UJ Shaw's. And they asked, hi, coach, I'm taking my father to the gym who's in his 50s and he couldn't, he wasn't able to squat or hinge with a flat back, weak strength and less ankle and shoulder mobility as well. Could you just help me with what exercises to do for that? Um, So I can start off with this one. Mm -hmm. So um, 
I train my I train my father as well. <laughs> um, I train both my parents, and we we do train kind of a range of ages and a range of ability levels at Achieve. So we've seen a lot of different types of people, and you know, one of the things that we can forget if you are a younger coach or a younger person in general is that um, things if if somebody if you're training somebody in their fifties or sixties who hasn't necessarily done these movements before, like done deadlifts or done squats, and you're trying to train them now, they've had a lot more time to acquire different tightness, like areas of tightness or different mm-hmm. mobility restrictions that aren't just going to go away really quickly. Um, so to try to force them into a hinging pattern with a flat back, um, it, it just might not happen as quickly as you might experience with a 22-year-old coming into the gym where you're yeah. just like, flatten your back. And they're like, okay. <laughs> um, so keep that in mind that it might not be as fast of a process of getting them there, and that's fine. Um, the first thing I would say with squats and deadlifts is to meet them where they're at with their mobility. So with a squat, um, we like to start people with squatting to a box. So having a box behind them and maybe having a couple like plates or pads on top of that box to limit their range of motion mm. so that they just squat down to the point where they maintain good integrity with their spine. Um, we probably do like a goblet squat with a dumbbell out in front of them because that is a, an easier way for people to be able to maintain good alignment and good squatting patterns. Um, with a deadlift, you can do the same thing. We would probably start with a kettlebell deadlift and we would probably elevate that kettlebell up on a plate or two so that the kettlebell is a little higher off the ground so they don't have to go so far down and it's a little easier to maintain a flat back that way. They start to learn the hinge and then over time you can start to take some of those, um, some of that height away as they get more and more proficient in that movement. Yeah. Um, and I like that you talked about loading exercises right away because I mean, we do spend some time patterning like squatting patterns and hip hinging but adding strength to a pattern can be very corrective and yeah. can um, accelerate results a little uh, bit quicker um, as long as we do it appropriately. So we wouldn't ever just like strength train someone with a, a rounded back in a squat or a deadlift just because we want to load them. We just, again, meet them where they're at. And that should hopefully accelerate the process a little bit quicker than just totally unloaded patterns. Yeah. Um, And then in terms of just like he said, weak strength, less ankle and shoulder mobility as well. So uh, it's just starting out with exercises that aren't super technical, I would say, as well. Mm -hmm. So something like um, a TRX row, for example, is something that's very fairly simple, not something that you can really get injured doing. Um, And it gives you a good opportunity to talk to them about positioning. So as they pull up, talk to them about pulling their shoulders back. Something that an older population might have is years of desk job work Mm -hmm. where they've been rounded over for a long time, not thinking about their posture as much. So trying to get them to open up and pull their shoulders back while their strength training is also going to be something that's helpful. Um, and then like an incline push up would probably Yeah, an good. incline push up um incline as opposed plank. to a regular push up, a kneeling side plank or an incline plank. Yeah. Um dead bugs and marching for core strength because you know, building core strength is going to be super important as well. Um and then spending some time in the beginning of the session and at the end of the session on those mobility areas definitely. So when you first get there, we would recommend foam rolling a little bit if that's something that they've never done. They're probably going to experience some pretty um, good results from doing a little bit of foam rolling from just breaking up some of that tissue a little bit and then working on ankle mobility drills, shoulder mobility drills, T-spine mobility drills. We have a bunch of those on our Instagram page, so you can kind of scroll through for those. Um, and then at the end of the at the end of the session, stretching as well. So they get a couple of or a little extra time 
stretching. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for the most part, like this could have been just overlaid onto a question about anyone. Any beginner, yeah. Um, it doesn't have to be someone that's a little bit older. Um, like these are just good sound training strategies for anyone who's a beginner. And yeah, I mean, uh, we got a question from at the Fit 101 workshop from someone who is in their, I think, 40s or 50s. And they said, were there any like special considerations that we take into account for um, like an over 50 crowd? And if we like limit our training for them or like um, make it a little bit less demanding and like it, like for the most part, not really. Yeah, like, we meet I mean- them where they're at. Um, in terms of maybe they have some mobility restrictions, but we like we're all human beings and we all move a specific way and we just train those patterns and just meet people where they're at. Right. Human movement is human movement. It's going to be the same and the requirements of our body are going to be the same. We're going to all need to sit down, stand up, get off the ground, like do all these different patterns that we want to maintain for as long as possible. And so training the patterns that we need to be able to do daily is what we want to do with everyone that we work Mm -hmm. with. Um, And yeah, maybe it's probably not the smartest idea to throw a barbell on someone's back who's super kyphotic and rounded over and has a hard time getting their hands back on the bar Mm -hmm. like those are considerations but there's kyphotic younger people and we wouldn't do that for them either totally yeah it really is just it's not necessarily an age thing it is more of a um of an ability level thing that we need to either regress or progress exercises accordingly yeah awesome cool all right and then the last question this one comes from i can't read that oh jm Jay Melman, 13. (laughs) Um, Hi, Lauren and Jason. First, really appreciate the clear and thoughtful content you provide. Thank you. Uh, I have a possible podcast question. How often do you suggest changing up the exercises in a program? For example, let's say I do an upper and lower routine each two times per week. How often should I mix up the exercises on each day as opposed to just increasing the weight as the routines get easier? Hope this makes sense. And thanks again. Um, For our routines, uh, we definitely recommend switching it up every four to six weeks or so. And, you know, in, in theory, you could probably maintain um, your, your compound movements, like your squat, your bench, your deadlift, um, those sorts of like big compound movements. You could conceivably keep them in your program forever. For like, years, th- yeah, yeah forever. Like, like there's no need to um, switch them out. And the reason is because, because they're compound exercises, we can continuously manipulate them in a way that it still continues to spur adaptation and progress within your body. So we can add more weight to the bar, we can add more reps, we can affect the tempo, we can add more sets, Um, we can manipulate all these training variables so that they can still um, push us in a uh, forward direction. You can't necessarily do that with certain assistance exercises. Um, So that might be like uh, bicep curls. Bicep or, curls, yeah, yeah. Isolation-based exercises like triceps or front raises or even a little bit further up the line like a, a split squat to a certain degree, step-ups. Like at a certain point, like you're not going to max out on your step-up and like right. it just becomes a just self-limiting thing. So at that point, then you want to swap it out for something else. Um, but I mean, yeah, I would say four to six weeks is a generally a good place to go. Um, before you switch it up because you don't also want to switch things up every day um there's there's a there's a common phrase called wad workout of the day that was popularized by crossfit and that made it seem like along with like p90x where it's like muscle confusion and stuff like that where 
Um, there, there was stuff where it's like, you should do something totally different every day. So it confuses your muscles, but then you don't have enough, um, practice with that movement in order to, again, spur adaptation. Like you need practice with a certain movement in order to lift more weight or use more range of motion or use a better tempo or develop better proficiency. Um, otherwise like kind of like you're just, you're, you're just doing everything and it's just not going to be, um, uh, beneficial. Yeah. When it's, when it's completely random, it's, it's also, not only is it not as beneficial, but it's also hard personally to just see your progress and that it can actually become kind of frustrating Yeah. because you don't know that, okay, last week I could do like, say it's push-ups. like last week I could do five and this week I can do seven. Like, wow, I got stronger. Yeah. But if you don't have that consistency, you actually have a really hard time seeing that progress and it doesn't ever feel like you're being successful at anything. You just feel like you're sweating. You might be being successful at sweating. Yeah. Um, but that it feels different when you actually see like, wow, I was, I went from A to B point A to point B and this feels really cool and this feels really good. And I see my, see my progress. So we think four to six weeks is a really sweet spot, like really good, um, amount of time to spend on one program. By the end of that, you're starting to get maybe a little bit bored with that program and you're excited for a new one. Mm -hmm. Um, which kind of also spurs a little bit of excitement. Like people love new program day. Yeah. (laughs) It's, so exciting, including myself. I love when I have a new program because it's just like, oh yes, like I've, I've accomplished, you feel accomplished that you finished a program and you also feel excited that you get to now see some new results and experience some new exercises. So, um, it really is definitely the way to go is to continue with the same routine for four to six weeks and then, um, change up the, if you don't change up the main exercise, like Jason was saying completely, like if you keep front squats is your main squatting exercise. That's fine, but change it to either a different rep scheme or maybe do a slow tempo or something like that, where you're just doing yeah. something a little bit different to get a little bit of a, uh, of a different ab- adaptation. Yeah. Um, like a couple things that go along with it. Um, I think sometimes people like to switch things up pretty frequently because it gets them feeling sore and <laughs> they view soreness as a indicator of a good workout of a good program. Um, you know, soreness is just basically telling you that your body did something slightly different that day and it's just not that used to it. That doesn't mean that it made some sort of adaptation. It's basically just, you just did something different. And the best way to continue to monitor progress is if you're adding more weight to the bar or if you're adding more range of motion or if you're doing it with better form, like that's a much better way to tell whether or not you're accomplishing something positive at the gym than just feeling sore. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing is I think people really um, can underestimate how much um, skill goes into strength training. It's like, I mean, it's like working on uh, your golf game, right? It's like your squat, like you, you, could, you could spend a long time trying to develop your perfect squat pattern. And it's just sometimes it can be really frustrating. Sometimes you feel awesome. And it's, it's just a skill. Like, it's just like, you have to practice it and work to develop it and continue to get better at it. And doing something like muscle confusion would be like spending one day working on your driver, one day putting, one day working on your mid-range game. And instead of saying, hey, for the next two weeks, I'm just going to work on my putter. For the next two weeks, I'm just going to work on my driver and get much better gains that way. Um, I don't even golf, but that's the the (laughs) most skillful hobby that I can think of (laughs) because I've done it a few times. I'm like, this is ridiculously hard. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that was a good analogy. That's good. I like it. 
Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, I think those are all the answers I have to your burning questions for today. If you have any more, you can DM us on Instagram at Achieve Fitness Boston, or you can send us an email at podcast at AchieveFitnessBoston.com. If you wouldn't mind leaving us an iTunes review, we'd be super, super thankful for that. We love your feedback and we love hearing what you like. And, and also, if you ever want to send us a message on anything you'd like us to do differently on the podcast, we'd love to hear that as well. And until next time, peace, love, and, and muscles. muscles.